Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, API era edition. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, joined this afternoon by my colleague, Ryan Donovan. So there was a paper released last month, January 2024, Can LLMs Replace Stack Overflow? Ouch. (laughs) A study on the robustness and reliability of large language model code generation. So I want to caveat this at the beginning by saying there's a rush of academic studies Mm -hmm. trying to figure out how do you get LLMs to generate reliable code? And then more importantly, like, well, how do you measure that? Like, what are the benchmarks? Because this is a brand new field, you know? So this study proposes, you know, its own idea. They have a data set called Robust API for evaluating the reliability and robustness of code generated by LLMs. They take 1,208 coding questions from Stack Overflow, Mm -hmm. uh, about 18 representative Java APIs. They pick Java because it's so widely used. Summarize the common misuse patterns of those APIs and evaluate, you know, what the LLMs spit out. So the GPT-4, which is, you know, cutting edge, 62% of the code generated contains API misuses. Mm. And they wanted to focus on this, I guess, to point out that some other studies have looked at, you know, is the code functional? Right. When you scan it and run it, does it, you know, perform as intended versus, well, maybe you're introducing, you know, something into the code that would deprecate it in terms of its quality, security, memory, whatever. Mm. Um, so I thought that was an interesting metric. Mm. I don't know. What do you think about looking at it from that perspective? From the, what's the robustness? What's the the metric? The misuse of APIs? Yeah, I mean, misuse of API as like a yardstick for mm-hmm. code quality. Yeah, I think that's, it's a good one for testing LLMs because API guidelines, how you use them is generally pretty well documented, right? On whoever's right. got the API. Mm, good point. So if the LLMs are misusing them, they are, you know, probably making stuff up. They are, they're making... right. Pretty rookie mistakes. Gotcha. Yeah, it says generated code snippets are missing boundary checks, Mm. missing file stream closing, failure in transaction completion, et cetera, even if the code samples are executable or functionally correct. Mm. Misuse can trigger serious potential risks in production, such as memory leaks, program crashes, garbage collection, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's a little different, I think. That's the sort of standard problem where it's like, you know, this is not secure code you're writing. But I think we've had that with code samples on Stack Overflow. It's just if you just yes. get the code sample, you don't get the context right. around it, right? You don't get all the comments, right. you don't get the other answers. Right. Yes, it's important to point out that they found like a 62% error rate or something like that. And they linked back to some earlier work that studied the robustness of code on a forum like Stack Overflow, mm-hmm. which found that you know if you just copied and pasted from there, something like... of the code, for example, would have a security issue or 42% would contain a a deprecated API. So not as bad as the 67% of the LLM, but obviously far from perfect. Yeah, and I think the additional context that that you lose is that you're copying code from Stack Overflow, right? You are copying this sort of demonstration example code, whereas you get it from an LLM and like, oh, this is something I can put in production, right? It should be good code. And maybe people should be treating LLM code as, you know, you have to make sure that this this works and isn't, you know, giving up your database. Right, right. We'll share a few links here. I do think this is an issue we'll probably return to again and again this year, which is sort of like, yeah. you know, what are folks doing with code generation inside of their organization? 
you know, to what degree can it be a big productivity boost versus, you know, mm -hmm. actually, you know, take time away because it's introducing, you know, more errors than you would have just writing it yourself. Yeah. And then, right, like what yardsticks are we going to use to measure this, mm -hmm. you know, from a code reliability perspective? Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, think of that as like a DevOps or a testing mm -hmm. or an SRE perspective. And then, you know, legal and security are like issues that will, you know, we'll have to sort out yeah. um, because you don't know the licensure and you're not sure, right, what maybe security risks you're introducing accidentally. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the more and more people use this, the more they're going to find the limitations and the benefits, right? They're going to find more of these things where they're just giving you broken code or find that it's really good with certain uh, prompts. Right. So one other thing I wanted to talk about in terms of, yeah, like how things are changing. It feels like at the margins, but how at scale it could really change. Mm -hmm. Shopify announced this week that they would be adding in you know some basic image generation capabilities. Okay, you have a product. Well, now you can change the background. You can mm -hmm. remove the background from the photo you shot, and you know we, we'll give you a bunch of different options. Not a big deal, but you know for a small merchant, hey, this is a great tool. But the really interesting thing they did, which we've you know been working on at Stack Overflow, and you and I mm -hmm. have written about, is adding semantic search. So mm -hmm. now you can go on and ask a question in the search bar that previously would have been pretty inaccessible, like you know warm and comfy clothes for mm -hmm. winter, you know, in a Scandinavian style or something right. like that. And it's going to be able to return something to you based on that. And that's, you know, that's not a way we've ever been able to shop before, or mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know how it's going to change things, but I think like what is interesting about it is that Shopify is at such a huge scale, right? There's so many merchants on there. There's so many customers coming through every day. And so people are going to start to touch this stuff and, it, you know, we'll have to see what kind of impact it makes. Yeah. and. I think this is a, a good, you know, consumer friendly version of the generative AI, right? Because, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, I want some bootcut jeans, you know, I don't want to just go to the regular, regular providers. This will also right. surface, you know, smaller merchants. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, yeah, that's on true. the other hand, are we going to get all the, you know, like Amazon is starting to get flooded with low quality merchants, let's say. Right, that's true. Yes, I, I've read a couple of disturbing stories recently about old websites. The mm -hmm. Hairpin was one that was kind of like a gawkerish site that yeah. had great writers and then closed down, and now it's been resurrected as an AI content mill. Oof. You know, so if people end up there, there's just a bunch of stories that you know are written by authors that don't exist. Um, so you know, that's one of the unfortunate outcomes. Yeah, my uh, Kindle keeps recommending books that are clearly AI generated. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh no. It, it knows what you're into. Yeah. Why, why, I wonder why it's doing that. I it's doing well, that I mean, me. it's better than the the romance novels it kept recommending to me. Right. Why is it why is that it's so off for you? It's just the regular regular ads that shows up on the, the main screen. Oh, I see. It's just like the this is for everybody, right? Yeah, this is the you know, a story about a cowboy billionaire murderer who's, you know, my best friend's dog or whatever. Yeah, yeah. All right, I got two more before we sign off. On a sad note, a uh, big story in the New York Times this week, technology companies are cutting jobs and Wall Street loves it. Mm -hmm. You know, this is really unfortunate. Uh, we've seen a lot of layoffs in the tech industry, startups and massive companies. I believe, don't quote me on this, don't mm -hmm. take this to the bank, that the cuts that are being made still do not bring the companies below the mm -hmm. number of you know engineers they had in 2020, that the massive hiring that was done during the pandemic years still puts them ahead of where they started. But unfortunately, this can be a self-reinforcing sort of cycle. 
they make cuts, the shares mm-hmm. go up. The people who decide on cuts love it when the shares go up, you know? Right. And so that's not a great outcome for the developers who work there. Yeah. And, and I read something that this sort of layoff strategy to encourage short-term stock prices was something sort of pioneered by Jack Welch at GE. He would mm-hmm. every year lay off the bottom 10% of the company right. and then also right. do layoffs to sort of improve the stock price. And I don't think constantly laying off people is going to make your company thrive. Yeah. I think there's an interesting question in there, which is like, how many people are going to show you their true abilities in year one? And how mm-hmm. many are going to blossom in year two or three after they get to know the ropes and understand who they're working with, right? Like one year, two mm-hmm. years is not maybe necessarily enough time to decide whether somebody, you know, where they belong in the stack rank or whatever it may right. be. You know, after four or five, six years, you can say, all right, how much is, you know, this person producing for the company and make a decision mm-hmm. like that? And I think, you know, it could be the other way, right? It could be like, this is actually a good thing for refocusing. Like you said, uh, maybe folks overhired during the pandemic. Maybe this is a lot of sort of internal feature bloat, right? A lot of companies stretching right. out, going, going different places and being like, well, let's stick to our core business, right? <laughs> I heard some crazy stories recently as I was discussing, you know, what's happening in the industry with some friends, somebody who's, you know, worked at tech companies for a long time and is an engineering manager that prior to the more recent cutbacks, it was not mm-hmm. uncommon for people in a high-level engineering role or product role at you know a very large and well-established public tech company to sometimes not work for six months. A project mm-hmm. they were working on would be shut down. They would want to get on a new project, but there wasn't one immediately available. And they were basically mm-hmm. just on sabbatical, like it was like a teacher in the rubber room. And <laughs> you know, at those salaries, mm-hmm. it's it's crazy. But at that time, the companies didn't care because like that wasn't what they were maximizing for. That wasn't what you know shareholders were clamoring about. Right. So there was certainly, I think, some bloat there. Yeah, and I I think Silicon Valley, the show, parodied that, where there were yeah. just a group of developers that hung out in the roof and drank right, beer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. The roofers. The roofers. Yeah. Uh, there's a great article in MIT Technology Review. You know, if you're listening, I would suggest checking it out. It's about a professor from Duke University who decided that for one of his entry-level programming courses, he was going to change things up and switch from Python to Rust. Mm-hmm. So this guy has 25 years of experience as a developer, and his takeaway from using an AI assistant in the IDE was mm-hmm. that it gave him superpowers. There's no way I could have learned Rust mm. as quickly as I did without it. I basically had a super smart assistant next to me that could answer my questions while I tried to level up. So, Ryan, I think to your point, mm-hmm. it's not a replacement, it's an enhancement in this right. story and also opens up incredible. Like to be able to say, you know what, after 25 years, I'm switching from Python to Rust in this class. Right. That's like a really meaningful thing. Now, all these other kids are going to learn something different. And that was made possible with the help of this stuff. So, it was kind of cool. To read yeah. That. And I, I think. This shows the power of of the generative AI for somebody who is fairly competent in the field, right? Right. Somebody who is yeah. not competent in the field doesn't know the right questions to ask. Mm, no, it's yeah, it's right. all unknown unknowns. Yeah. But for yeah, somebody who's a professor who knows Python inside and out, it's like, what's the parallels? How do I find a way right. into Rust? Right. That's interesting. They would probably ask a lot of questions. That's like in Python, I do X. How can Mm -hmm. I do that in Rust? Right. Yeah. Just as a corollary to this, though, there was a study released uh, this month, January 25th, 2024, 
that reach the opposite conclusion. We find disconcerting trends for maintainability, code churn, the percentage of lines that are reverted or updated less than two weeks after being authored is projected to double in 2024 compared to 2021. And so there, we further find that the percentage of added code and copy-pasted code is increasing in proportion to updated, deleted, and moved. In this Mm -hmm. regard, AI-generated coder resembles an itinerant contributor prone to violate the dryness, do not repeat yourself, of the repos visited, downward pressure on code quality. So, you know, use at your own risk or or use wisely. Yeah, don't just copy and paste. That's not what you're supposed to do. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, even when folks are just copying and pasting from Stack Overflow, that's right. not entirely advisable. I wrote something a while back about how good coders borrow, great coders steal. And the stealing is that right. you have to understand it and make it your own, right? The same right. with the AI code. You can't throw things in there willy-nilly and hope that right. you have a functioning program at the end. I like it. All right, everybody, it is time. Let's thank somebody who came on Stack Overflow, shared a little bit of knowledge or curiosity, a great question badge awarded to, no, no, polarity awarded yesterday. Can someone explain SSH tunnel in a simple way? Explain it to me like I'm five. Well, you've hoped over 65,000 people. So we appreciate it, no, no. And thanks for bringing your knowledge and congratulations on your badge. How to SSH tunnel. If you want to know, now you can. All right, everybody. As always, thanks for listening. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. You can find me on X at Ben Popper. Email us, podcast at Stack Overflow with questions or suggestions, and leave us a rating and a review if you like the show. And I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow, conveniently located at stackoverflow.blog. And if you want to reach out to me on X, you can find me at rthordonovan. Sweet. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you soon.